Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 17th episode of 2023. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Graybar. You know, a lot's happening in Washington, D.C., and a few highlights include the House and Energy Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology held a hearing on broadbanding, broadband permitting last week. You know, multiple ideas to help streamline permitting were discussed and the fiber broadband associations working with the committees as the bills are being advanced. One bill that was introduced by Congresswoman Eshu is the Community Broadband Act, which will enable all communities to have access to experienced broadband providers that include municipalities, tribes, utilities, co-ops, public and private partnerships and nonprofits across the U.S. Also, NTI has made their limited short-term middle mile uh, BAB up, you know, the Build America, Buy America, Buy America, Build America, I forget what that is, uh, waiver public. The key difference between the draft released in the fall and now is that the fiber optic cable has been removed from the waiver. So the waiver is issued until March 1st, 2024. If you want to see what the waiver looks like, you can go view it on the Department of Commerce website under approved waiver section. Um, also, as part of the NTI bead notice of funding opportunity, there's a requirement that each eligible entity submit their initial proposal describing the bead challenge process under which a unit of local government, nonprofit, or a business broadband service provider may challenge a determination made by the eligible entity in the initial proposal as to whether a particular location or community anchor institute is eligible for bead funding, including whether a particular location is unserved or underserved. NTI is seeking comments by May 5th on the challenge process notice and also on the bead model challenge process. So please, if you have some comments, you got till uh, May 5th to reply on those. Our next regional Fiber Connect workshop is coming up quickly and will be held on May 16th in Austin, Texas. This will be a really important event, especially given that, that, that Texas may be eligible up to $3 billion in bead funding. So you're not going to want to miss that. Please register today as the hotels and workshops are, will sell out. Also, please join us tomorrow, Thursday, April 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern for our um, FCGA, the uh, FT, FTTH Council Global Alliance webinar. Sustainability Survey, a global view from the Fiber of the Home Council Global Alliance. We conducted a global sustainability survey and we'll be sharing the results during this webinar. You can register at um, our fiberbroadband.org website under webinars. That brings us today's Fiber Breakfast with John Schultz, AT&T's Director of Sustainability Integration on a topic that is called Fiber, a Climate Hero. You know, last week on Fire for Breakfast, we heard from Larry Thompson, the CEO of VantagePoint, on unlicensed wireless. Is it suitable for closing the digital divide? 
you know, Larry just completed a white paper explaining, examining why unlicensed wireless is not appropriate for bead funding. If you missed it, the white paper is posted on the Fiber Broadband Association's website, and you can find a replay of last week's webinar um, on our website under events. That brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session with John Schultz, AT&T's Director of Sustainability Integration on, on the topic is Fiber, a Climate Hero. John Schultz is the Director of Sustainability Integration at AT&T. In this role, John works with customers, technology collaborators, AT&T businesses, and leading independent third parties to identify how AT&T connectivity can help address climate change. John began, began his AT&T career in the corporate real estate group, and he migrated into leadership roles with energy and corporate sustainability organizations. So welcome, John. And our, for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd like to get things started, and I'll turn it over to John. Well, Gary, thank you very much, and thanks for having me on the uh, agenda this morning. Um, I want to talk about climate uh, today. It's, a, it's an issue that's becoming uh, more and more important. Um, there was a new IPCC report that just came out. I happened to be at an event last night that was talking about water. Um, climate is um, uh, front and center in a lot of uh, today's news. Uh, we're seeing it uh, almost every day, the impacts of climate change. And so I thought it'd be important to talk about it and, and maybe ask a provocative question, which is, you know, can fiber or connectivity more broadly uh, play a critical role in addressing climate change? And, and at AT&T, we believe the answer is yes. So on the next slide, I'll show us a, a stat that um, I think validates um, the importance of the topic. Um, as a bit of personal history, I've been working in this area for almost well, over 15 years. Um, and when I started, you know, whatever you call it, climate change, uh, corporate social responsibility, um, sustainability, whatever you wanted to call it, it was, um, there was a lot of talking about it. And uh, a few people were trying to integrate it into the, the way that we thought about things, but it was, um, on the edges. Uh, that is no longer the, the case. Uh, today, addressing climate change uh, as a risk or an opportunity is uh, becoming increasingly important to businesses. This statistic is one that you can find. There are lots of surveys out there that will show you um, that this issue is becoming more and more important. And from where I sit, it's a pretty obvious reason. Um, the, the reason is not only the news that you hear, uh, but also pressure. Uh, pressure, good old pressure, is a, is a great change agent and a great uh, sense provides a great, great sense of urgency. And pressure to address climate change is coming from more and more sources these days. It's coming from your customers, it's coming from uh, your competitors, uh, it's coming from regulators in some cases, and it's a lot. Of, and if your public company is coming from uh, investors, um, the uh, number of surveys that we get from our customers um, is going through the roof. Uh, all of our customers want to know how AT&T is thinking about climate change. I suspect you guys are feeling that similar pressure. Um, and so the, the, the question becomes, well, what are we doing about it? How are we addressing uh, this, this uh, climate change risk? And so on the next slide, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit about how AT&T thinks about that. Um, the first question that we get is, AT&T, what are you doing within your operations to reduce the impact of climate change. And the top line metric and goal that we have in place is that we aim to be carbon neutral 
by 2035. Um, that essentially means that we will uh, work hard to reduce our emissions through energy efficiency. Uh, electricity is our largest source of emissions, so we're working hard to uh, reduce that within our own operations. Uh, the other large source of emissions for us is our mobile fleet, and we're actively looking to optimize the use of those vehicles and also transition to electric vehicles. We're also a huge player when it comes to large-scale renewable energy, and we'll continue to do that uh, until our emissions are down to zero by 2035. So we've got a good plan for ourselves, um, and that puts our customers' minds at ease. Um, where I think we have an opportunity as a, um, an expert in, in connectivity is that we believe connectivity can play a fundamental role in helping our customers be more efficient and helping our customers reduce their greenhouse gas emissions as they pursue their set of emissions reduction goals. Many of our customers are setting goals just like we have, whether it's carbon neutral or net zero or a science-based target. Um, you know, our customers are setting these kinds of goals just like we are for the same reasons, right? They recognize the importance of the issue and are feeling that pressure. And we believe connectivity can help them achieve those goals. Now, the thing is, uh, connectivity opens your eyes to uh, things you couldn't see before. Uh, connections like fiber enabled um, connectivity to buildings, um, uh, IoT, Internet of Things connections to mobile assets. Um, this connectivity uh, provides access to data that can be analyzed and can be uh, used to drive efficiency. It can save costs, it can save time, and oftentimes that, that visibility can help reduce emissions. So we, we took that concept to heart and uh, we put our money where our mouth is, if you will, and we set a public goal. Uh, the time frame is the same as our internal goal to be carbon neutral. And so by 2035, we will help enable our customers to reduce a gigaton of greenhouse gas emissions. A gigaton is a billion metric tons. Uh, it's a big number. If you think about getting in an airplane and traveling from New York City to Los Angeles, the emissions from that airplane, if you were to do it 1.6 billion times, that's a gigaton. So it's a big number. Um, and we, uh, we put ourselves on the hook to help um, our customers reduce emissions at that kind of scale. Now, let's, let's, let's be clear. I think that it's great to have a, a metric out there. It's great to have a number that we're shooting for. But we, we view this goal, our gigaton goal, as a symbol and an inspiration, hopefully, and a reminder right, that we think connectivity um, should be considered when our customers are thinking about their uh, emissions reduction plan. So we like to we like to think that by setting this goal, we're helping to inspire, and and we certainly are engaging our customers in a big way in this conversation about you know how can connectivity like fiber, uh, Internet of Things, 5G, how do these connectivity tools that we provide uh, open doors to opportunities for our customers? So the next clip on the next slide, uh, I'll give you a few examples um, to get to that gigaton goal. Uh, we are looking to create more uh, smart climate solutions. That's the name that we've given uh, to any sort of application that uses connectivity to get rid of inefficiency, to get rid of waste. So if you think about how we can use less electricity, less fuel, even water and raw materials. When you're more efficient with the use of those resources, greenhouse gas emissions go down. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for smart climate solutions that drive efficiency in those areas. And what we've found is um, the big hitters, right, the areas where we need to make the most advancements are in areas like transportation, uh, industrial and um, 
energy, you know, these, these high intensity uh, emissions intensity areas, and even agriculture. These are all areas that uh, some obviously and some maybe less obviously uh, use those resources that generate greenhouse gas emissions. And we think we've got a nice suite of connectivity uh, solutions like fiber, IoT and 5G, um, uh, sometimes edge computing, uh, network virtualization, voice and collaboration. These tools that we provide to our customers we think can be enablers. So if you think about transportation, um, vehicles are a huge source of emissions uh, in the United States and, and across the world. And so I think about how a connected fleet is more, um, is more efficient than a non-connected fleet. I think about when I joined AT&T and the only information we had about our vehicles was the credit card bills that we paid at the end of the month. Now leap forward and now we know exactly how to optimize routing. We know how to monitor idling and acceleration to uh, reduce, uh, you know, reduce wasted uh, fuel. Um, so we're using, you know, connectivity enables uh, fleet operators to be much more efficient. We're also now using that, the insights that we get from our telematics solution um, to plan for our transition to electric vehicles, right? This kind of insight allows us to identify this group of vehicles as a great candidate for electrification, these other maybe not yet. So again, the idea of a theme of creating visibility through connectivity uh, can be a great enabler um, as we optimize the old way of, of transportation and migrate to new ways of transporting uh, ourselves and goods. When you think about industrial applications, you think about factories, you think about industrial sites, again, the idea of having a connected factory, um, maybe it's a fiber connected factory that has devices that are, um, that are connected so operators can see where electricity, where resources, fuel, raw materials, how they're being used to optimize it. That reduces cost, it helps increase productivity, it saves time, and it oftentimes reduces emissions. We think industrial applications, especially high emitting areas like steel and cement, if we can get um, you know, those types of, uh, that kind of intelligence into those operations, maybe we can help uh, reduce the emissions in those areas. Energy is a huge source of emissions, of course. We think about the old, the old world of oil and gas uh, and coal even, um, we're working with those types of producers to understand their operations better, uh, see uh, where waste is occurring, where methane leaks are occurring, which is a big source of emissions, um, trying to optimize the performance of the old world, but at the same time working with new world energy and renewable uh, service providers to optimize uh, the generation of clean, renewable energy. And lastly, agriculture is maybe one that's less obvious, but when you think about the amount of fuel that goes into the trucks and vehicles that are on the field, the amount of fertilizer, which is oftentimes uh, based in um, uh, petrochemicals and water, the, all of these are uh, emission sources. And so we work with a lot of innovative uh, companies that are looking to use sensors um, to collect information from the fields, from the vehicles, and optimize the use of resources in the agriculture um, uh, world as well. So we feel there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, the, the challenge of, of climate change is, is very real uh, and daunting, but we, we have to be optimistic and look for solutions. And we feel like uh, our connectivity solutions, including things like fiber, IoT, and 5G can, can play a big role. But we realize we can't do this on our own. And so on my, my next slide, and my last slide, then we'll get to the good part with questions, um, is, uh, is a little bit of information about something that we created back in 2021 when we announced our gigaton goal. And it's called the Connected Climate Initiative. And when we look at our role 
in addressing climate change. We feel that we do play a fundamental and critical role, but we realize we need to collaborate and we need to work with other uh, experts with complementary technology, complementary expertise um, to develop robust solutions that can be scaled. And so the Connected Climate Initiative is all about that, that theme of intentional collaboration, uh, bringing complementary services together uh, to bring you know, really high impact solutions to market. And so we've got, we've, uh, we're at the beginning of our journey. We, the roster, uh, includes leading technology brands like, uh, Salesforce and Microsoft, uh, service integrators like, uh, Deloitte, um, industrial partners like Duke Energy and, and Badger Meter, as well as, um, leading thought, uh, thought, thought leaders from some, some, uh, prominent nonprofit organizations and academic universities that are helping us do the re research in this area. So um, we realize we can't do it ourselves, and we're are, are openly and actively looking to collaborate with other leaders um, that are, you know, of the same mind, recognizing the critical nature of addressing climate change, but also looking to play a role in addressing uh, addressing that challenge. So Gary, thanks for letting me uh, go run through my spiel there, and and uh, we covered a lot of ground. But uh, happy to take any questions. Well, John, yeah, this is really interested, and really appreciate AT&T taking the leadership on this. So I can't even imagine, you know, if I look back in my career, when your central offices used to be steppers, and then they have moved to digital switching, um, and now, I mean, do you have a feel for how much real estate you guys reclaimed, and how much power you reduced by the where you are as far as the evolution of technology? Yeah, we we are all over that. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, we track that like a hawk. We, uh, we I mentioned our internal efforts to reduce our carbon footprint to zero. Um, I mentioned our largest footprint, as you said, is the use of electricity uh, to power uh, the equipment that runs the network, but also the cooling that keeps that uh, the buildings that equipment cool. So we recognize very quickly that electricity is the is the big lever for us. And so um, we have, um, we've actually leveraged this idea of a connected building. Uh, the reason we think this is such an important lever that we can pull for our customers is because we've done it for ourselves. We now have um, over a thousand of our buildings are uh, connected, um, meaning that we've got uh, information coming from uh, you know, all, all different points of electricity use in those buildings and that comes to a single dashboard that allows us to track that uh, electricity usage in almost near real time. Uh, if you think about it, I mentioned how antiquated our fleet was when I started. We were antiquated with our buildings as well. We would get an electric bill 45 days after the close of the month, and, and sometimes there would be, would be a spike and we would not know why until, until it was far too late. We're well past that now, and we now have uh, real-time, you know, on that day information that sends an alert to say when something has changed. So all that to say is um, we absolutely have done um, a good job of pinpointing that electricity use and investing in thousands of energy efficiency programs um, over the over the last decade to help bend that curve. And so um, I I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but if you want to go to att.com/csr, we've got more reporting and detail on that than you could ever uh, ever want, <laughs> because because we recognize that that's a critical number for us to monitor. And, and the good news is that that number is is bending in the right direction. Uh, even as we invest in, in new networks, 
um, and, and greater ca capacity um, efficiency is helping us bend that, uh, that arrow downward. And the other way that we're doing that is through, through large-scale renewable energy, um, which is helping us bend that number as well. But yeah, you're right on the money. That was a, a quick and early learning. And this is true for any customer. You know, where is your biggest source of emissions and how do you address that in the most effective way? And for us, that was electricity. Well, it's like, you know, having my Nest thermostat, you know, every month you get your little notice on how many leafs you had that month and where you are versus all your neighbors. And so, you know, awareness really, you know, changes people's behaviors, right? With Fitbits and everything, any kind of feedback, people start to, well, gamification, right? Um, so, you know, I, I was, saw a cable labs presentation the other day and they were showing how they kept re are reducing the amount of energy they're consuming over time but when you start looking at it it's like well as they get more fiber in their network they're starting to the more fiber is what's improving their performance um given you know the nature of fiber and all passive optical networks at&t is the largest deployer of fiber networks can you tell us a little bit where you know what the state of at&t's fiber network you're absolutely right. It's critical for us. It's a fundamental um, tenet of our business these days. And we are the fastest growing fiber installer in the country. Um, we've got a goal to be uh, in over 30 million locations by 2025, and we're, we're going to hit that. We're already in over 100 uh, metro areas. It's, it's, um, it's fundamental to our business. Um, and so the good, that's good, that should be good news, certainly for this audience. Um, and it's good for me in, in terms of my, when I put on my sustainability hat, um, fiber is a, and you touched on it already, actually, um, from a sustainability perspective, fiber is a winner um, because of the passive nature of it. It's more energy efficient. Um, and and we, we're, trying to, we're trying to build that into um, the value proposition uh, when we talk to our customers. Um, the other thing about fiber is we're finding that it requires fewer truck rolls, right? So that's, again, less fuel, which is our second largest emission source from, from our perspective. And what, what's, what we're finding is interesting is that um, we, I mentioned we get lots of surveys. You know, we are a big supplier to a lot of our customers, and many of our customers are recognizing that they need to look up and down the value chain. You know, uh, you know, to, to, to hunt for emissions and, and get them out of the system. And so many customers are now reaching back to their supply chain and suppliers like us to understand their carbon footprint. And what we're, we're hearing more and more is tell us what are the emissions related to the services that you're offering and what are some ways that we can reduce that. And so, um, this is a, a new trend. We started have, we started hearing this a little bit last year. And it is building, and it is building, and it's now becoming a roar. Um, and so are we, we're looking to integrate that value proposition of not only is fiber great from a performance perspective, um, but it's also a winner from a from an emissions perspective. Yeah, that's what our research shows that fiber is going to reduce carbon emissions by 34%. So given the size of your network, um, as you upgrade your legacy network to fiber. How much is that going to contribute towards your um, gigaton and your, you know, zero carbon footprint goals? You know, feel for is this is that a huge part of it? Yeah, net, net network. So when we think about the two goals that we have in place, one is for our own footprint, and and I would say that the move to a fiber-based uh, network and uh, network virtualization 
So the use of software instead of hardware to do different functions, those are the big levers, right? From a network perspective. Um, we're also, of course, working on how, how to optimize the cooling of the network and, and, and be, that, that cooling is also a big uh, contributor uh, to uh, our electricity usage. But you're, you're on, you're, you hit the money, you hit the nail on the head um, between the migration to fiber and the virtualization of our, of our network. Those are two huge levers we're going to pull um, towards as we, as we pursue that, that carbon neutrality from a, from a customer perspective. Um, we are their scope three, not to get too nerdy, but uh, uh, scope three is this, uh, there's scope one, which is your direct emissions, or scope two, which is electricity, and then scope three is your, a lot of different things, including your suppliers. So our carbon footprint is our customer's scope three, which is becoming increasingly important to our customers. So, so that, that migration to a lower uh, carbon network will show up as a, as a benefit for our customers' scope three, which is, which is, really important for, for our customers as they start to um, build out the full uh, perspective on what their carbon footprint looks like. So when you look at secondary benefits from fiber, um, so obviously work from home was a huge benefit during the pandemic and continues on and just getting cars off the road. You know, and our studies are showing that um, when every American's connected with fiber, that will eliminate um, the, the equivalent carbon reduction of taking 11 million cars off the road every year, which is pretty huge. Um, one of the questions that came in from our audience is, is employee commuting emissions included in your calculations to meet your goals? Yeah, uh, yes. The short answer is yes. Yeah, we, we recognize that, um, that the ability to work remote wherever you are, uh, you know, it looks like you're in a hotel room, I'm at home, right? right? That, that ability to work wherever you are does reduce uh, whether it's commuting uh, to a job or travel for a business meeting. Um, and, and that is a component of, um, of, our, of our gigaton goal for our customers, enabling that kind of uh, reduction for our customers. Um, for our employees, our employee commute, that would show up as our um, scope three. And so it also shows up in that, in that metric. Um, so that's a big one. Um, I will say that is kind of a, a foundational uh, example, right? It, it's, it's pretty obvious, it's pretty intuitive. Um, and fiber certainly is a critical player of that. If you expand your aperture, and again, I'll just hit on those, um, those other areas, uh, you know, transportation, industrial applications, energy and ag, where that is where we see the future, right? That's where we see, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully continue to allow flexible working like we're doing right now, um, but also looking for new smart climate solutions that are, you know, have, have the same kind of impact that uh, commuter avoidance does, or, be, or better even. We're looking for even higher impact examples, uh, but certainly commuting is a good one. You know, when I look through your case studies, um, you know, just it's not, it looks like that you use a lot of tools to try to identify inefficiencies, like where say um, motors are working too hard and you, you, know, you don't have things properly tuned. Is that, is that how you look at look, your connectivity solutions is just to make sure things are connected and you have better visibility to what's being optimized and what's kind of out of range? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that's a starting point um, because a lot of times, uh, whether it's a fixed asset, like a piece of equipment on a, on a factory floor or one that moves around, um, 
you know, without connectivity, you don't know what's going on until until much later sometimes. So that's that, the idea of energy efficiency or operational efficiency is, I would say, the first pillar. Um, the other pillar is this idea of um, transformative, uh, uh, just doing something fundamentally different, <laughs> um, and and uh, leaving the old carbon-intensive way of doing things in the past because there's a better way to do it. And so I would say that, uh, and, and and we feel that oftentimes connectivity can provide the nudge. <laughs> that helps get over some of those barriers to doing something different. And I'll just use one example, which is the electrification of vehicles. And of course, there are a lot of barriers um, to the, in the early days of electric vehicles, there were lots of barriers, you know, battery life and there's lack of, you know, you know, supply chain, you know, there were a lot of barriers to it. But one of the other key barriers was range anxiety. And where am I gonna get my next charge, right? And how am I gonna feel comfortable driving an electric vehicle when I can't just go, um, go to the fueling station. Um, and connectivity uh, actually can help overcome that because with a phone that can tell you how's your battery status, you know, yeah. helps you plan your, your route, helps you see the next charging station if you need it, right? It helps overcome that barrier, right? And so, um, and there are other examples in uh, other technologies that are nascent, but, but, but fundamentally change from the old carbon intensive network way of doing things to the new low carbon way of doing things. And then oftentimes we think that connectivity can help overcome that barrier. And oftentimes it's going to be big facilities that need high capacity that need fiber, you know, where fiber is a big player in, in, in some in kind of overcoming some of those barriers. Um, I was talking with a, uh, uh, carbon capture and, and storage provider, and they need a lot of connectivity at some of these facilities to be able to monitor and track uh, that that mode of of, of sequestering uh, emissions. Um, and and uh, so we're talking with them about the right connectivity solution for that kind of application. So there's the EV example is, is one that I think we can all relate to. There are more, and and these are the kinds of big transformative things. Uh, that are going to help us get to the gigaton, quite frankly. Efficiency uh, will be a, a good contributor because picking up the, you know, a little bit of efficiency over a large scale makes a huge impact. It's not to be dismissed at all, um, but we also really like to think about the ways that we can be that transformative kind of leap forward enabler uh, with connectivity. Well, John, um, thanks so much um, for sharing this with us. You know, when we did our global sustainability survey, um, key, key takeaway was uh, Europe's way ahead of everybody else. And and so it's good to see leaders like AT&T, you know, hopping to move the industry forward in North America. Um, so we appreciate everything that you and AT&T are doing to drive our industry to a zero carbon footprint. Um, also, I want to invite you to join our sustainability working group, and I'll send you some information on that because we really want to have the entire fiber industry moving that direction. And for our audience, yeah, I just want to thank everybody. Yeah, th um, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll get together next Wednesday. We'll be discussing Fiber Connect 2023. Let the disruption begin with FBA board chair Joseph J.J. Jones of OnTrack and our uh, conference um, program director Rich Williams is going to outline what to expect at our annual conference in August. Uh, keynotes, breakouts, pre-conference workshops, and everything that's going to be happening at the Gaylord in Orlando, August 20th to 23rd. So you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you guys next Wednesday.
or tomorrow if you join us for a global sustainability webinar.